0: Hey everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, experts from Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journey in this growing industry, giving you some insights on the ecosystem to hopefully help you to take part in the climate change fight and benefit from the opportunities that it can also represent. The podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speaker, their perspective on the climate crisis, and how climate tech is changing again. The second part of the talk will be for our members of the community who will learn from the speakers their secret sauce on how to, sharing with you their unique expertise on various topics as fundraising, management, strategy, and so on. To help you to become a better leader in your field. Let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. Today's guest is Ryan Sherman, co founder and CEO of Eater Diamonds. During this episode, we'll have an interesting conversation with Ryan to learn more about how they are making the world's first carbon negative. And truly sustainable diamonds using CO2 capture in the atmosphere. He will walk us through the story and the why behind Ether Diamonds, how, with the unique process they developed in their labs, they are able to produce stones made from the air, which are just as real as mined diamonds. He will also explain to us how he made the steps into the climate tech industry. Which hopefully will help you to take the right steps too. During the second part of the show, which is accessible to a member of our community, Ryan will share with you interesting insights on his fundraising experience and his view on the climate tech ecosystem today. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the welcome to the show. Um, we're well, very excited to uh, to have you uh, here for the for the podcast Take for Climate. Um, so before we start uh, to go a little bit uh, deeper into uh, Heater uh, in itself, uh, would love to hear a little bit more about uh, your story, uh, your background. Uh, I saw that you were also like a, a previous uh, founder, so you have experience in that uh, in different fields as well. Um, And then maybe you can uh, work with, I mean, tell us a little bit more about uh, what is Eater and uh, the why uh, behind it. Sure. Well, first
1: and foremost, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, My journey in in, in the world of entrepreneurship began in 2013. So uh, this was following uh, several years in the fine jewelry industry. I uh, started working on a passion project. I'm a engineer by education uh, and I I had a a project that I wanted to work on mostly for myself that ultimately became a business almost by accident. And that set me down a path uh, that led to me being where I am today in this chair, talking to you uh, and and it really was born out of a desire for me to continue creating, just as I have in my career while working for others, uh, innovative consumer products. You know, I think most of what I've focused on in, in my career is bringing things to various consumer markets that are new and exciting. And uh, you know that's ultimately what led me down the path to building my first venture-backed business. Uh, this was a company creating connected safety products for predominantly the motorcycle market and then tangentially several outdoor sports markets, which we grew to a consumer footprint in, in over 130 countries over the span of five years. Uh, that company was sold in 2018. And I was looking to the future, trying to understand what was I going to do to create my own legacy. Um, At the time, you know, I was getting very interested in the world of climate, this resurgence, this, you know, climate renaissance that's happening right now, climate 2.0, as many people have started referring to it. And and, uh, it occurred to me that, you know, that was an area where my talents, my efforts would be best directed. You now, this is the way I now have a son, have a seven-month-old son, and uh, the way I really envision building my legacy is by leaving a positive footprint on the environment, leaving this planet a little better than it was when when I arrived here, and uh, and that's ultimately, you know, part of the initial, you know, thought process behind what got Ether started and why we founded the business, and uh, and and you know, here we are, three years later, in market. Uh, getting ready to have, uh, hopefully, a breakout year in 2021 and having exciting conversations like this one.
0: Fantastic. But I, I understand you also, you know, the the, the background in, in terms of uh, jewelry business and everything, but, like, why, I would say, like, why growing or, you know, growing diamonds uh, in, in itself? Uh, I guess it's a very um you know uh interesting and exciting um you know stone probably the the, the most famous in, the, in in the world but uh, why taking that leap and going into that uh, that direction so in 2018 you know
1: when i when i knew that i wanted to start something that was climate oriented i started really looking at what i could bring to the table yeah. what was i good at what skills had i developed over my career you know, it's one thing to have an idea and, and run towards it. I was, in a sense, almost looking for an idea. I, I knew that I wanted to do something impactful. So how can I maximize that impact? Well, I can I can do that by leveraging things that I already know how to do so I can move quickly and effectively. And we started that process, uh, my co-founder and I, um, really just by having conversations. You know, he he was a, a former colleague of mine. He had relocated to Bangkok. So he was living in Thailand and you know, there's a roughly a 12 hour difference. And we would have conversations to talk about different business ideas. And we both had worked in the jewelry industry and it, we, re, we, we remarked on one particular conversation. You know, wouldn't it be really interesting? We have all of these greenhouse gases that are warming our atmosphere, causing global warming and, and really large scale climate destabilization. What if we could pull carbon dioxide which is you know the the largely the, the the greenhouse gas that we need to be paying the most attention to it's not as volatile as methane, for instance, but there's so much more of it. Um, methane is, is much worse for the environment. Uh, its insulating factors is larger than CO2, but methane is unstable in the upper atmosphere. So as it gets released into our year into our air, it breaks down faster than CO2. CO2 is with us for many decades, um, upwards of almost a hundred years before the, you know, the, the CO2 uh, molecule starts to break up naturally. So uh, you know, for the lifespan of a human being, for all intents and purposes, CO2 is you know, up there forever, right? So we need, we need to not only mitigate emissions, but actually start pulling down carbon. We have already put too much carbon into our atmosphere. And if we don't actively start removing that, we're gonna be in trouble. Uh, it, it would be impossible to hit our goals with respect to uh, you know, average global temperatures rising, keeping that to one and a half to two degrees C. And, uh, and ultimately we realized carbon dioxide, and carbon in general, is not inherently good or bad. Where it is, Really, really matters. And carbon dioxide is molecularly, it's not that far off from crystalline carbon, right? Could there be a way where we could extract carbon from the atmosphere and grow crystalline carbon, otherwise known as diamond? And, uh, you know, my co founder and I, with our backgrounds in high end jewelry and Engineering and, and material science felt that we had the skill set necessary to to go and chase down a crazy problem like that. Um, in the beginning, we didn't even know what the business opportunity looked like necessarily. We didn't really know what the environmental impact opportunity looked like. Uh, we were excited just by the story and by the idea of making a diamond from thin air. That that felt to us impossible. If we could do that, that would be magical, and and you know that was what kind of got us moving and motivated in the early days and then only as we got into the problem did we realize wow there's a fantastic business opportunity and the opportunity to have a substantial impact on the environment you know the the diamond industry globally is is really harmful to the environment i mean there are a, a number of well-known human rights concerns with diamond production and those concerns haven't gone away you know many mm-hmm. people think that the the issue with Conflict diamonds and blood diamonds is a thing of the his of, of the past. Um and, and it is a major part of the history of this industry and it has not completely gone away. Now, the conditions on the ground in, in parts of the world where this is happening have evolved, but they have not, you know, completely disappeared. And mm-hmm. it's important to us that we look at that as a major factor. So the human rights side of things is is a factor for us and and should be for anyone who's buying a diamond, but then the environmental one is is something that's often overlooked. So we 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 believe. That by extracting carbon from the atmosphere, turning it into the world's first carbon negative diamonds that directly sequester atmospheric carbon, every atom of carbon that makes up our diamonds comes directly from the atmosphere. If we Mm -hmm. can do that and scale this business and scale our impact, would it be possible for our little company to pull more carbon out of the atmosphere than the entire global diamond trade produces on an annual basis and we think so we actually think that that's an achievable goal within a 10-year time frame so if you ask depending on who you ask and what's what data you're looking at you know it's Mm -hmm. somewhere probably between maybe 12 and 15 metric million tons of let me let me say that again depending on who you talk to uh, it's between 12 and 15 million metric tons of co2 that the diamond trade puts into the atmosphere every single Mm -hmm. year that's a pretty significant total amount of emissions. And if we as a single company can remove over 15 million metric tons of CO2 from the atmosphere, then we will have offset the entire footprint of the global trade. And then okay. at that point, we can start taking more and more carbon out of the atmosphere to remove all of the legacy carbon that the trade has put into the atmosphere over the last century. That's our goal. You know, that's one of the major underpinnings of, of our business model and, and how we're operating. We, we make a pledge that for every carat of our carbon negative diamonds that we sell, we will Mm -hmm. draw down no less than 20 metric tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. Now, some of that carbon gets stored right in your stone, uh, the beautiful piece of of gemstone and, and jewelry that you're wearing, some of it, stays in the actual rough diamond material that the the gemstone is cut from uh, that will ultimately be used for industrial cutting and polishing applications. Uh, So nothing's lost in the production process. And uh, you know, there's a number of other ways that we're, we're actively taking steps to make sure that carbon is being pulled down from the atmosphere and, and, and using that to create carbon sinks. In fact, I think a huge part of how we will do this at scale is sequestering carbon in other forms of solid carbon um, graphite for instance. So lots of things that we're doing on that front that are, that are very exciting to me. And, and I really can't wait to see what type of impact we can drive as a business.
0: Mm-hmm. So and thank you, because I think you, uh, you cover already like few of my, uh, my, my, my question are coming after, but, uh, before we go too, too, too deep in, 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 in that, um, can you maybe walk, uh, walk us through uh, the, the the process, like uh, in terms of like the, the carbon? How do you source uh, that uh, that carbon, and 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 how did you? I mean, how do you end up uh, at the end to have these uh, beautiful gemstones that uh, then you can start to cut and uh, and put uh, put in, in, as a, as a beautiful uh, jewelry uh, for for the for all the, the beautiful women of this uh, of this world? I would say. Well, and men too. Um, and too. <laughs> for, for us i
1: uh, I mean i i wear diamonds myself I think between my my ring and my necklace i yeah I probably have several dozen diamonds on me <laughs> at any given time uh, but you know for me um actually let me rewind there we can take that part out um I might want to take a different answer to this um, there are definitely parts of the of the process that i can't share the details around uh, as as it's proprietary. And, you know, what we're doing is, is, you know, fairly unique in the market and we need to protect some of the, you know, the details and nuance, but in broad strokes, it's a three-part process. Step one is to remove the carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, Mm -hmm. The final step is to grow the diamond in the diamond reactor. And then the core element that's really important is what happens in between. How do we take CO2 from the atmosphere and convert it into uh, a usable raw ingredient? That we can use to make the diamonds right so we know generally speaking what type of feedstock can be used to grow diamonds and we know generally what type of co2 you can pull from the atmosphere and all the other elements and compounds that come with it Uh, so that chemistry in the middle was where we decided to focus we've made our process fairly agnostic to the source of the carbon so instead of developing our own direct air capture technology we could go and bolt on to different solutions that were being developed by leading startups in the space. Um, So that's, that's ultimately the way we went to market was finding partners that are Mm -hmm. are directly pulling carbon from the air and taking that as an off taker, using that raw material to produce our proprietary blend essentially. Mm -hmm. So in order to grow a diamond in a laboratory, you need, uh, most people use methane, right? CH4 is the chemical Mm -hmm. composition of methane. Today, methane comes from, crude oil drilling, or it comes from fracking. So if you're making lab-grown diamonds, regular lab-grown diamonds, inherently, it, it's never going to be sustainable if it requires fossil fuels. Yeah. So it was our vision that rather than pulling those hydrocarbons from the ground, we could pull the carbon from the air and we could take water and we could split that water into oxygen and hydrogen, take the hydrogen and merge it with the CO2 to synthesize our own eco-methane so we produce essentially our first raw material that we produce is a carbon neutral eco-methane that comes Mm -hmm. from atmospheric carbon every single one of those carbon elements uh carbon atoms in the hydrocarbon chain came directly from the atmosphere so even if you burn this and you put the carbon back up it's carbon neutral because it came from the atmosphere to begin with right and, and we're not con- we're not combusting it uh in, in that manner but we do take that hydrocarbon and we put it into our diamond reactor and the blend is it's mostly methane there's some other stuff in there as well and that blend is proprietary and you know part of mm-hmm. our core ip um we inject our, our proprietary hydrocarbon mixture into this diamond reactor. And we have a special tailored recipe that works in conjunction with this to allow us to build a crystal of diamond up atom by atom, layer by layer. Um, if you would imagine when snow falls, you know, over time the snow builds up, it's similar to that. When you inject the hydrocarbon into the reactor, you bombard it with microwave radiation. The hydrogen in the hydrocarbon chains excites into a plasma state, and then the carbon dissipates to the bottom. It lands on some small seeds of diamond, and because of the heat of the plasma, it's able to bind and grow the the crystal matrix, and over the course of about three or four weeks, we get a big piece of diamond and it comes out when it's done, it looks like a burnt marshmallow. Uh, So you have to cut the edges off with a laser and
0: Mm -hmm. you're left
1: with a a nice little cube, uh, you know, something, something like this. So this is a a little cube of uncut diamond right here. And this piece is about a little over five carats. So once this is cut and polished, you know, you can see it's all like kind of charred and black because of the laser when the inside is perfectly clear. So you cut and polish it and it reveals a gemstone. Uh, So it's a, it's a really exciting process for me as an engineer, someone who's been working with, you know, uh, interesting materials throughout my entire career. It feels like magic. When I hold that stone in my hand, knowing that this came from the air, it feels like magic. So that's the process in broad strokes I can't get too much into the details I'm sure you can understand
0: uh, how long did the, it takes you guys to and the, the, the whole team to develop uh, and, and find in a way the, 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 the magic uh, recipe that uh, that works uh, and that uh, in the future you can scale as well years and we haven't
1: scaled yet you know what we're doing right now is it's it's larger than lab scale we are Using production equipment, but it's a small production facility. Um, we, we're we're not at a point where, you know, we have got rows and rows and rows of reactors growing many many diamonds. We'll get there, um, and I think you know sooner rather than later. But uh, getting getting the process to work took years. There are elements to this that are very specialized and require extremely um, precise skill sets. You know, stuff that are not readily available just out of any university. You know, the the number of really Really uh, intelligent engineers and PhDs that were associated with all the various steps of this process is uh, is really quite amazing, and I've been super proud to work with such smart people on this project. Um, and uh, we've got a long road ahead of us, you know, to to increase production to the point where you know we're really driving a strong environmental impact, and and hopefully uh, you know doing it in a way that allows us to to grow uh, our business sustainably.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, um, and. Maybe just like a, a small question because uh, I was researching before the prior interview and uh, I mean I saw that you know synthetic uh, or laboratory grown uh, diamonds exist since like the, the 40s. Is there any difference between your process and uh, and 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 I would say that process known known since the since the 40s?
1: Yeah. So I I, b- I believe it really wasn't until like 1954 where General Electric had great success with their first synthetic diamonds. They started experimenting in the forties, but it really didn't work until the early fifties. And that, that experimentation was led by a scientist named Tracy Hall. And, you know, while he was the first to do it, uh, GE did not treat him well. Uh, He ended up leaving the company. I think they gave him uh, some kind of stipend, like maybe $10. Thank you. Pat him on the back. And then, you know, he was kind of summarily dismissed from the company. Um, and that technology still exists today. Uh, it uses a different methodology for creating diamond crystals called high pressure, high temperature. So they have these large hydraulic presses and they put, you know, the, the various, uh, ingredients on the inside of the press. And they put a lot of pressure from all different sides and a lot of heat, and they try and emulate the conditions that were found in the earth's crust billions of years ago, you know, as our Mm -hmm. planet was forming. And from there, uh, they can make, sm- make diamond crystals. These diamond crystals, however, um, are not that perfect. HPHT is good for making larger crystals, but they're more included. Their color is not as good. The technology stack that we and, and the methodology that we utilize is called chemical vapor deposition. So this particular methodology produces smaller crystals that are much higher in quality, and and, and it uses a, a the, the technology is just drastically different, um, and that's that's an important distinction. So yep. the technology is not the same as what was developed, you know, yep. many, many, many four, over 50 years ago, uh, CVD, uh, started coming around about 30 years ago, but didn't really hit commercial viability until maybe eight or nine years ago. And even still, when we started this company, the lab grown diamond market penetration was like just over 1%, maybe one and a half percent today. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's over 4%. It's almost five. So there's been a lot of growth recently. The last couple of years has been a lot of growth, which has been exciting to see. And you know, at this point, we are, uh, we're, we're moving towards a future where lab-grown diamonds are kind of inevitable. Uh, and I'll tell you why. So when you open a new mine, you do geological surveys, you, you do core samples, you, you drill into the ground, and you have a pretty good understanding as to what's underground and what you're going to be pulling up right? So if you know what's underground and you know what, what you're going to be pulling up, you can estimate how long that mining operation will be open, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's 20 years worth of material underground or, or 15 years or 30 years, whatever it might be. So because those are all known quantities, we can look at all the different diamond mines that are operational today. And mm-hmm. we, we already know when they're going to close. So between today and 2040, 20 years or so, We know that 70% of all diamond mines that are operational today are going to be closed down. They're running out of diamonds, right? We had peak diamond output in uh, 2017. Roughly a little over 150 million carats of diamond were produced that year. Mm -hmm. So over the next 20 years, as 70% of diamond mines close, the global production volume of diamonds from the ground is expected to cut in half. So you're going to continue to see demand grow. Demand for diamonds grows every year and it has continued to grow every year for over a century at this point. So demand is going to continue to go up, but supply is going down. So we need to introduce lab grown diamonds as a way of backfilling to meet that demand. And frankly, we can't make them fast enough. So this is a really exciting time to be getting into the segment of, of lab grown diamonds because it's it's just going to be a growth market. We feel very excited about where it's going. And uh you know we're we're just bullish on the long term uh direction of of the broader diamond industry as things continue to get cleaner and more responsible and more sustainable.
0: Can you can you speak us uh to to us a little bit about uh, maybe the economics uh of it uh what are the, the margin that you're expecting in uh, how far are you into the into the process? Yeah,
1: so um, you know, cost is a factor of a few different things. You know, pulling carbon out of the air is relatively expensive when you do it with a machine compared to other natural solutions like um, reforestation, afforestation, mangrove development, things like that. Uh, so when you look at the carbon markets. If you look at reforestation, afforestation, you might be able to get one ton of CO two for, I, you know, it depends on what size volume you're buying, but just a few dollars to maybe ten or fifteen dollars per metric ton. If you look at tech-enabled carbon solutions, direct air capture often costs hundreds of dollars per metric ton, so it's much more expensive, and that makes it challenging for these companies that are that are producing uh, you know, these carbon assets by removing carbon from the atmosphere, it makes it hard for them to commercialize who wants to pay 500, 600, $700, a thousand dollars for one ton of CO2. If I can get it for $5 somewhere else. So where we come in, we are an application layer solution that will help hopefully usher in a new era for direct air capture, uh, you know, in, in terms of commercial viability, because we don't have the same price sensitivity one ton of atmospheric carbon allows us to go and produce millions of dollars worth of, of time jewelry. So if it costs me a thousand dollars a ton, I'm happy to pay that because we can, we can amortize that across all of the product that we're able to make. And that's really good for us to come in and, and, and plug in and help, you know, play a role in the, in the broader direct air capture kind of infrastructure. Um, I think the way we look at it compared to like retail pricing uh, the reason we're able to do this is because our sustainable angle aligns with what consumers are looking for. We can, mm-hmm. we can charge not a ridiculous premium. I mean, there are other diamonds on the market that are much more expensive than ours, but ours are not cheap by any measure. It's certainly a luxury product and we do view, view sustainability as a mark of, of modern luxury. So a consumer comes in and they they buy our product and that gives us an opportunity to make sure that we are, you know, essentially investing money into the broader decarbonization space, which is great, and do it in a way where our unit economics are favorable. Uh, I can't go too into the details on some of that because it's a moving target. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're early stage. Our cost structure is not that great today, frankly. Um, you know, it's not cheap to make these diamonds. We spend a lot of money to make these diamonds. Um and And that 's okay, because, as we grow the company, as we get more efficient, things will be better, and, and we, we have a line of sight into where our profit margins will be plenty sustainable for the business, which we 're very excited about. Um, but I think the one thing that I will call out is like the role that we play in the broader carbon market and helping companies that have direct air capture solutions. You know, find off takers who are willing to sequester. A lot of times we hear about carbon capture utilization and storage. And it's almost like those are two different things. There's carbon capture and then utilization and storage. Just because you can pull carbon out of the atmosphere doesn't mean it's not going to go back up. You need to sequester it somehow. So that's where we come in. We really bolt on to the carbon capture side of things and we are the sequestration partner. Every time we make a diamond, that carbon is permanently sequestered. It's never going to go back into the atmosphere. You know, we've all heard the saying diamonds are forever. That's not quite true from a scientific perspective, but diamonds are remarkably chemically stable for many, many, many years, well longer than any human being is ever going to live. Uh, mm-hmm. So while diamonds are not forever necessarily, they're pretty close to forever. So this is a great form of storing carbon that we get very excited about. Um, But then, like I said before, some of the carbon we're going to pull down from the atmosphere with our network of of direct air capture partners is also going to be converted into things like graphite. Um, You know, as we head towards a world of electrification, we're going to need lots of batteries and every, every battery for an electric vehicle uses uh, graphite in its, in its composition and it's, in its manufacturing Um, the ultra high purity methane that we produce from atmospheric carbon is also used to make solar cells and silicon chips. So there are a number of applications, applications beyond this consumer play that will come Mm -hmm. down the road and that's how this company becomes much bigger and that's the future that i look forward to okay that's kind of like the bigger vision of uh, ether correct i don't say that we're a jewelry company in fact I, i i often don't even call us a diamond company i think ether is a carbon technology company we manipulate carbon atoms to our will and, you know, ultimately our mission and our, in our, and our mission statement is uh, something that's you know really important. It, essentially we're looking to turn pollution into solution. And we do that in order to benefit the health of the planet and the lives of the people on the planet. So, you know, by, by helping drive towards a future where we're, relying on batteries for electric propulsion for electric vehicles. And if we can contribute to that, it becomes a a, a you know kind of a, a beneficial cycle that hopefully should continue to compound and and allow us as a company to have a greater and greater environmental impact at scale.
0: So um when you look at the, the diamond business uh, in in industry today, uh, as you mentioned, uh, only four percent is a I would say synthetic diamonds uh, as you guys are, are doing. This is mainly uh, I would say on the, under the the. Uh, the monopoly uh, of companies like the Bears. Uh, so how do they see you and how do they um, did you guys have like any, any contact? Do you see that there is like a collaboration maybe to play together or is it completely like two different worlds and you guys are kind of like the 2.0 of the diamonds and uh, they should maybe look at uh, look after after them <laughs> themselves. I can say this,
1: uh, there really is no longer a monopoly in the industry. There used to be, uh, there hasn't been in over 20 years, um, probably closer to 30 years at this point, the industry was heavily controlled by the De Beers company. And, and, and that has since broken up a bit, uh, a number of factors for why that happened. Um, but essentially, you now have like three or four big players and then a, a smaller kind of burgeoning um, cottage mining industry industry. Artisanal mining is a thing. Uh, I, I argue whether or not artisanal is, is an appropriate label. Um, but with that said, we know that these are companies that are aware of lab grown, that are focusing on lab grown, that are maybe hedging with lab grown. De Beers actually has spun up a small lab grown diamond operation as well. So they understand the future and where it's going. We're, we're not in direct contact with any of them. Um, it, it doesn't mean that we won't ever be in contact with them, but for now, we're just laser focused on growing our business, growing our impact, mm-hmm. growing our production capacity. We are we're very small still. So to 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 say that we're on their radar and you know, I who knows <laughs> <laughs> if conversations happen someday. I mean, right now we're focused on talking to big brands, you know, yeah. heritage luxury brands that we all know and love. Uh, those are the groups that you know we're excited to uh, to work with, more so than you know a De Beers, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and just badmouth them. I, uh, the general public knows, um, you know, in broadly kind of what their involvement has been, and 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 all the things that have happened kind of under their watch. And we're taking a very drastically different approach to to how we produce diamonds and and creating a future for this industry that exists in the way we think it should.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about like uh, competition? Uh, do you guys have uh, right now like a lot of competition competitors, or um, how do you how do you see the the market right now? So, you know, I I hope that
1: we inspire companies to to start doing more to improve their environmental footprint, and it doesn't necessarily mean going as far as we have and becoming carbon negative. I would love for that to be a big thing. And this is actually part of our, our company's articles of incorporation. We seek to inspire responsible, sustainable business practices globally. And, and we're trying to show other companies that you can do the right thing and make money still. You know, we're not a, a nonprofit. We are a for-profit business, but we are a public benefit corporation. And it is our stated mission to take care of the planet. The uh, planet Earth is our, our biggest and most important stakeholder at the end of the day. Uh, and that drives real business decisions for us. Um, in terms of where we are in the market and other companies and competitors, the lab grown space is is heating up. There are, are new entrants coming in and establishing diamond growing uh, laboratories, but they're making regular lab grown diamonds made from fossil fuels. So I think we're kind of uniquely positioned. We are the first company to come out and make diamonds made from, from thin air and, and be on the market. And, you know, we've, we've been off to a good start. We've done millions of dollars in pre-orders. Our wait list is continuing to grow. We're getting ready to ship our first product out the door very soon. So, you know, it's it's exciting to be first to market, uh, but we, we need to see what comes kind of behind that, and, uh, and and I think we'll know a lot more by the end of this year as to where we sit in the market compared to everybody else. Um, yeah. But like I said, you know I, I do hope to inspire people. I do hope that they can look at us and say, hey, it is possible to do good for the planet and do good financially, and 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 that's something that we're already kind of showing is a viable path to commercializing a product like this.
0: So maybe a, a last question uh, for this uh, this section of the interview. Um, what are the next steps for the, for the company? You, know? uh, you guys I think recently raised uh, a round of funding. Uh, where are you guys going uh, next in the next uh, six to 12 months? So yeah, we, we just closed a
1: round of funding. We brought on some phenomenal investors. We actually haven't formally announced that yet. Um, I know you and I had discussed it and I've shared it with some people, but uh, there will be a formal press release and we'll, we'll kind of talk about who's backing us and why we're excited to be working with them. Uh, next steps here is we're going to be growing the team a little bit, bringing on some more uh, talent. Uh, it takes a village to do something like this and, yeah. and we need to make sure that you know people who are uh, contributing to this effort are aligned with our mission. If, if, uh, anyone, if anyone is listening and, and are intrigued by our mission, I do encourage you to reach out. Uh, you, can, you can reach out at careers at etherdiamonds.com. Uh, but besides that, really, it's just increasing production capacity. Our number one concern right now is can we make diamonds fast enough to meet the demand? Because the current level of demand we're seeing well exceeds our production capacity. So we do aim to, to increase our production capacity by at least 10x this year alone. Uh, by next year, I'd like to double or maybe even triple that. So we we have a uh, we have exciting times ahead. I think the next six months are going to be really fast paced, and uh, I look forward to you know bringing a lot more people into the mold, into the mix uh, as
0: we grow our team. Congratulations, that's very exciting. Congrats! Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for for your time for sharing your amazing experience. Uh, Ryan, it was a really a pleasure.